as he paces back and forth, an empty page for chapter two, pen in hand, a little bead of sweat begins to develop on the top of his forehead. I know what I need to say to them, but, but, but how do you say it? Should I just dive in? Should I be straightforward? Maybe perhaps I should ease into it. You see, Peter's just made this claim about the call to living a holy life. And it's easier said than done. It'd be one thing if you're talking to people, writing to people who, who aren't going through much, but, but that's not these people. It's not the people who are going to read this letter. No, no, no. These people, they're, they're under attack because of their beliefs and their faith. They're being picked apart like a piece of bread by a flock of park pigeons. They're being watched and observed in the same manner an alley cat surveys a mouse nibbling on a scrap of cheese. No, no, no. These people... What do you say? Where do you go? There's an urgency. This, this life of faith he begins to describe and lay out for them is not about floating along down the river of life. In fact, it's kind of going against the currents of culture. More sweat begins to develop. He begins to stare to the side of the wall and the brick and the mortar begins to kind of shift and he begins to see the faces, the flesh and blood of the people whose story resembles his own. These people who have been kicked out of their land because of their heritage and what they believe. These people who, who tomorrow and this week and this month, they will walk into the center of their cities and they will step into relationships. People who will mock them. People who will bemoan them because of the faith they claim in this guy by the name of Jesus. These people who have yet to find a place that they could call home. What do you say to them? So he picks up his pen, and he continues to write. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture, let me remind you, it says that, See, I see a stone, lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and the stone that causes people to stumble in a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received 
mercy. What do you do? Or what will you do when Jesus calls you to swim upstream against the currents of life? Today we are in week two of our fully known teaching series in which we're walking through the letter of 1 Peter together as a church. If you haven't had a chance to grab one of these booklets, you can check the Next Steps kiosk. We almost ran out this week, so you might have to wrestle a few people for the ones that are left. But this is a great tool and resource to help you dive deeper into this book. We picked this title fully known for a specific reason. That as we looked through 1 Peter, we felt like Peter was basing everything he was writing off of this foundation, that Jesus fully knew this life. He lived this life. So the times in which we are in pain, he can relate. The times in which we are shouting praises and receiving blessings, he can relate. The times in which we are struggling, he can relate. You see, we don't have a God, we don't have a Savior who just kind of exists up there somewhere and, you know, you guys just kind of figure it out and one maybe someday in the future we'll connect and it'll all be cool again. In fact, we have a God who experienced this life, who lived this life, who walked this earth in the same way we did with one distinct difference. He did not sin. And we have and we do. But Jesus said, I fully knew this life. So the gap of sin and death, God and eternity, I will bridge that gap so that you can fully know God. Not just that he knows you and loves you, but let me mend the gap so that you can fully know him. You see, we are fully known by Jesus to know Jesus, but to also make him known. And throughout 1 Peter, we kind of see this getting fleshed out in a few areas of faith. And he kind of follows this pattern. He'll talk about the reality of something. Here's a reality of faith. Here's an implication of one of the things of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But everything has an implication in your life or the world around you. And he always ends, though, with a piece of obedience. So here is, therefore, what we do. And so the passage we started off with today, he's actually beginning to lay the foundation, the reality of a life of submission to following Jesus. Now, a lot of us, you hear the word submission, we all just kind of tightened up a little bit, like, he said the submission word, I don't like submitting, you're nudging the person next to you, see, I told you there was something, there was a catch to this whole church and Jesus thing. The word submission isn't so much blindly following, it's to follow the example. It's the Greek word, hypotasso, it means to put under subjection, to follow the example or the pattern of someone. In the same way in which you would become a disciple or an intern or apprentice of a welder, carpenter, a plumber, an electrician, and you would learn the crafts and the tools of the trade, it's the same thing in being a disciple of Jesus, that we have one master, we have one Lord that has showed us the truest way to live this life. And so we submit, we follow his example. You notice how Peter kind of starts this discourse. He doesn't just kind of jump out and say, okay, do what Jesus did. And the, uh, everything else will just kind of fall into place. He says, no, 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 let me, let me just start here. Let me remind you of whose you are. He says, you're a royal priesthood. 
You are chosen. You are loved. You are a holy nation. You've got that inheritance because of Jesus. No one can ever take it away from you. No one can ever strip it from your hands. It is yours because of his work. And this is where a lot of us really start to lean. We say, yay, let's talk more about those things. Let's talk more about those, those attributes and those words. This is, what I, this is what I like about Jesus. This is what I like about the Christian faith. It's so different that I'm, I'm a part of the family of God because I, I can't figure it out, and he did it on behalf. Yeah, let's, can we just kind of camp out here for a little bit? And Peter says, that's who you are. Let me remind you of who you are. He also says, let me remind you of where you're going. We're building a spiritual house to be with God, not because you didn't have mercy, but now because you have received it. Your cornerstone, the word of God, the promises that were true then are true to us today. That no matter your past, no matter what place you call home, no matter your mistakes, no matter if you lived a life that you are proud of or you have lived a life that you are ashamed of, no matter any of that, that you can have a spot in the family of God. You get to be chosen. You get to be royalty. You get to be beloved. You get to be holy, part of that nation. And that's when everyone's like, yes, I like those attributes. Let's kind of talk about those things. And so Peter is saying, when we talk about following Jesus, when I talk about submitting our lives to following Jesus, that is the reality, is that Jesus makes all people God's people because of one reason and one reason only, that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died on the cross, he submitted to God's will, went to the grave, rose three days later. And everyone's like, yep, preacher, brother, I love it. Give it to me, pour it into my soul. And that is the reality of submission. That's where we start. But there's some implications that come next. He continues, verses 11 and 12. So he says, dear friends, I urge you. <laughs> urge is kind of that word that's like, it's not mandatory, but I'm going to strongly recommend this. <laughs> I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such goodly, good lives among the pagans, the unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So Peter lays out the reality. We belong to the family of God. He is our good shepherd. He is our Lord. He is our master. And so if you have trusted God with your salvation, well, then you will you trust him with how you live this life. You see, we're not just fully known. We don't fully know Jesus to one day be in eternity to one day be in heaven with God. We fully know Jesus so that we can start knowing him now. That we are fully known to follow the example of Jesus, to be heaven on earth, to be the church where people begin to lean in, they begin to see and experience the love of God because the love of God exists in us. And this is where a lot of us, I'll be honest, this is what happens to me too. We all kind of take a step back and we just go, <gasps> Wait, 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 what? You, you mean, if I want to follow Jesus, I got to actually do stuff? 
And we begin to kind of hold on. I, I, I thought it was based on the works of Jesus, not the works of myself. And Peter said that's absolutely what it is. But once you cross into the family of God, you better believe that we begin to live out that inheritance. You see, being a true Christian doesn't mean just saying, I believe God exists. It's more than just saying that, that there's this God, I'm a sinner in need of grace, therefore he sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And so I said that prayer. Because our enemy, the demons who are waging war against us, in our souls, in our spirit, in our homes, in our relationships, in our schools, in the lives of our kids, they believe that too. They know that to be true. A faith, one that is real, is one that is refined, one that is continually taking steps, saying, I belong to the family of God, therefore I will submit my life to God. Every relationship, every decision, every avenue, everything that this life consists of. As a member of your priesthood, as a member of your holy nation, God, I subject myself to you. Now, it's not that we're perfect. It's not that we can ever be perfect. But when we do mess up, when we do sin, when we do stumble, we know that we then go to God in forgiveness. We, we, we ask for forgiveness from others. We seek forgiveness when that happens. But every opportunity, every moment is a chance to say, God, you are my Lord, and I submit to your will. So I think the better question that we have to wrestle with through this text is how do you respond to not being in control of your life once you cross the line of faith? And Peter begins to kind of unpack that a little bit. So let me tell you what it means personally. Let me tell you what that means for you individually, internally. And he doesn't really warm us up he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't, you know, put some water wings on us first and drops us in the kiddie pool and say, okay, you good there? You good? You warmed up? Okay, now let's go to the big boy pool. He just kind of throws it out there. He says, so therefore, you belong to the family of God. Abstain from sinful desires. You got it? Cool. All right, let's go. Let's move on. And a lot of us, wait, 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 hold up. That's kind of a big deal. That's kind of a big thing. Eric translation. Abstain from sinful desires. Eric translation. Quit it with all the bad stuff. <laughs> Better translation, follow the example of Jesus, not the example of the world around you. This is where Peter's readers, this is where us, hopefully, we begin to ask ourselves a question. Is there something different about me? Am I dying to myself? Am I denying the desires of my flesh now that I follow Jesus? Well, I don't know. Am I any different? I don't know. I, don't, I think I, 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 don't know. I do something on Sundays now. I used to kind of just sleep in and wait till football comes on. Well, the football's over, but there's that new one. That, it's, it's like secondary, but so I don't know if I'll watch it or whatever. Yeah, but I don't know. Honey, what do you think? Well, of course you haven't changed. You're still leaving the toilet seat up. It's been 20 for years. We talked about it, right? We need to ask ourselves, am I different? Have I changed? The things that used to, to desire to draw me into the world and its pleasures, are they still there or not? Because if we are following Jesus, if we are knowing him and making him known, you know what Peter said there? He said, people will take notice. They will know that something is different about you because your life will be heading in a different direction. 
You know, one of the things that we, uh, we did in preparation for this series is I sent out a message to about four or five people in our church, and I said, hey, you know, in a couple months, we're going to study the book of First Peter. I'd love for you to join in with something. Could you read through First Peter, take notes, ask questions, and then I just want to have lunch with you, and we just want to talk through some of the things that stuck out. One of the things that we need to address and talk about, and we got to chapter two, we got to this passage, and one of the people in the room, I'm going to call him Steve. Whenever I have to, you know, make up a name, I always go with Steve. It's the proverbial Steve for me. So if your name is Steve, sorry, this isn't directed at you unless the Holy Spirit is prompting you, then it's exactly for you. But, uh, and so uh, Steve kind of says, you know what this passage reminds me of? The abstain from sinful desires. He goes, you know, I, I didn't grow up a Christian. Steve says, I didn't grow up a Christian. I didn't grow up in faith. I didn't grow up in church. This has been new for me, and, and I'm falling more in love with Jesus every single day, but I still have a lot of the same friends. I work with a lot of the same people, and I constantly get asked this question, hey, 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 what happened to the old Steve? We miss the old Steve. The old Steve used to kind of go out and have fun with us. Are you going to come out with us ever again? He just looks at him and says, no, because that's no longer who I am. I'm no longer submitted to that way of life. I'm submitted to Jesus. But a lot of us, we, we struggle with that, 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 that issue. There's the way that Jesus wants to live, and there's the way that the world wants us to live. And we begin to say, hey, hey, God, you know, Jesus, you know, do you think maybe we could just, like, cut a deal? You, can, we, can we just kind of work something out? I know that you're good, but I like kind of this little circle, this life that I've got. And, and I kind of like the way that my heart thinks and does, and I've got these friends, whatever. but it's cool, cool. I, I still love you, and I've got, I've got my churchy things, and I've got my Jesus stuff, and I've got my Jesus time, and I don't know why I'm dancing, but I am, because again, it makes it happy, right? And, and I've got all the stuff, but, but, but you know, I really, I really kind of like some of this. So can we just trade just, just some of it, maybe not get rid of all of these things? Because I kind of like it when my friends do that, and I want to do that too. And I like it when my heart says do that, and I kind of want to do it because it kind of feels good and it helps me. But, but school, 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 no, 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 I still love you, Jesus. I still trust you. Uh, I still know that, that, that you've got a, a great plan for my life and that your way is better at school. But, but, you know, is there a way that maybe I can just keep it close so that I can pick and choose? Is it, is it cool if, you know, I can just follow you when it's easy? When it's convenient? Maybe when I really, when I feel, just, just when I just feel in the mood <laughs> to do my Jesus thing. When it, maybe when it's not that hard, when it doesn't require a whole bunch from me. Is, is, is it cool? So when Peter says, no, no, that's exactly what's happening. Do you, it, it is waging war in your soul. Your sinful desires and the path that Jesus has led out, those are opposites. It's one or the other. You have to pick and choose. I want to know Jesus, but my heart still has those sinful desires. I want to trust Jesus, but I also want to trust my friends and my instinct. I want to follow Jesus, but the stuff everyone else is doing seems funner, and I want to have funner things in this life. It wages war within all of us. To fight a war, you have to fight back. You have to plan strategically. You have to attack the enemy. You have to put up defenses. Now, let me be clear. This isn't a war against people. 
This isn't a war against culture. This is the very war that you will be facing on a day-to-day basis as someone who claims to belong to the family of God. Your sinful desires will say, hey, you remember me? Remember what we used to do? Remember how fun that was? But Jesus said, I have a plan, I have a path, I have an example. The key is we don't have to fight that fight alone. We don't fight that fight on our strength, on our merits, on our works. We fight that fight with the power of the word of God. These promises, this truth, and we fight that power with the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus gave of himself a guide, a helper that lives in us. We fight the war. We go upstream. Why? Because we follow Jesus, not the currents of culture. That when we belong to the family of God, the implications are we start to swim upstream. It's the war between world and culture. This way versus that way. Following Jesus or following our hearts. Will I love other people as he has called me to love regardless of who they are, what they look like, where they've done? Will I forgive people, even though it feels really good to be bitter and hold a grudge? Will will I save my sexual intimacy with only my spouse in the covenant of marriage? Will I treat my money as God's because he has first been generous to me, therefore I will be generous back to him? Will I withhold harsh words and lame opinions about others because the spirit of Jesus calls me to lift up and to edify people, never to tear them down? This is what it means to follow and to submit to Jesus. And what Peter's actually going to do from this part of the passage on through the rest of chapter two and into chapter three a little bit, he picks three key areas in which he's going to zero in on. He's going to talk about the way in which we, we, we withstand the, the attacks on our faith from the government, the, the, the way examples in our workplace, our relationship with our employers, and then with our spouses. But I want to read two two verses that gives this idea of here's the point. Here's the obedience of submitting our life to following Jesus. Chapter 2, verses 15, and then we'll skip to verse 21. Peter continues to remind, he says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. In verse 21, as he is kind of concluding this thought, he says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. You ever, uh, you ever been to a water park that has a lazy river? Right? To me, I don't know, just personally for me, you can judge me. It's like top three greatest inventions of all time, Okay. It's like the internet, sliced bread, lazy river, okay? And, uh, you know, they're great because what do you do? You kind of, you get, you, you, get a, you get a raft, and it's like the only time in society in which we're cool with just like floating and touching strangers with their sweat and their sunscreen, but it's like, hey, it's cool. We're just floating together. It's all chill. It's all chill, right? And so one of the things we used to do growing up as middle schoolers is wreak a little havoc. We would dive into to the, uh, not, not dive because they're like three, but, you know, we'd get into the lazy river, and then we would try to see how far we could make it going the opposite way, right? So you have 
have these, these giant hordes of people just floating along. Half of them are asleep. And so then we'd see how far we could get the other way. And when people are asleep, we'd tip them over and serves you right there. Right. We'd never do that. Um, and then we'd try to, and, then, and so we'd just go and we'd be splashing, we'd having fun, and no one would ever catch us because the lifeguard would be on the other side of the park. And then if they would, we would just duck down and kind of float all the way around. It was awesome. It was great. But after like five minutes of going upstream, you get tired. You get wore out. So we'd find like two-year-olds and flip them off their rafts. No, I'm just kidding. We would never do that. We would find empty rafts. And then what we do, we would just sit on the raft and just float along with everyone else. It's the way the current was going. It's easy. It's simple. It doesn't require any thought, any effort. And Peter is saying, as soon as you become part of the family of God, you swim upstream. You never stop. You've got the power of the Spirit behind you. You've got the power of the Word. But that is what Jesus did. He went the opposite direction to Jesus was. When people thought Jesus would condemn the woman caught in adultery, he then met her with grace and truth, the ultimate epitome of love. When people thought Jesus would establish a political kingdom, instead he said, I'm going to create the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, an earthly, eternal kingdom that surpasses it all. When people thought that Jesus would abolish the law, he says that he actually came to fulfill it. When people thought Jesus was dead and gone, placed in the tomb, never to be seen again, he rolled back that stone and walked out. And that was pretty awesome. That's the guy that I want to follow. The guy who could overcome death. And he says, follow me. One of the things um, that I get the benefit of doing as a pastor is people come and ask me to disciple them. It's kind of a little bit more intentional. It's a little bit more um, rigorous isn't the right word, but you know, we've got our groups, we've got our church, but it's a little more intimate. And a few years ago, at the time, I was asked by a man to, he said, hey, will you disciple me? And he was probably twice my age at the time. And we, I mean, he had lived a rough life, a pretty drastic life. And, and I just kind of, I just asked him, I said, hey, man, I just got to know. What, what, what convinced you to leave behind that life to follow Jesus? And I was expecting some kind of like, well, you know, I was a sinner and I needed his grace and just some like churchy answer. But I remember what he said next, and, and it blew me away and it's impacted me to this day. And he said, because Jesus called me to live the exact opposite. I'd spent decades following my heart feeding those desires that came natural. That I knew if Jesus was real, that he would call me the other direction. Because all my past did was create a wake I wish I could undo. And he said to me, why would I want to follow something that would create similar ripples? He said, no, 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 no. I knew I needed something drastically different. And if you were to meet this guy today, you'd be blown away. He's full of the spirit. He's infectious. There's actually people who attend our church because of this guy who doesn't even live in this area because he decided I need to swim the opposite direction. Submitting to Jesus, following Jesus isn't normal. We don't float along with everyone else. We go the opposite direction. I think oftentimes we pick and choose when we want to follow Jesus. When it's easy, when it's convenient, when everything finally makes sense, when it all feels right and good. And Peter is saying, no, 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 no. 
If you follow the example and you submit yourself to the laws of your government, if you submit yourself to an employer, why is it any different to submitting and follow the example of your Savior? If you believe in that living stone, if you believe you are chosen, holy, royal, why would you not submit to following the example of Jesus? Let me close with this illustration this morning. So I think this is kind of what happens. We have the two spheres of influence or choices of life. There's us and our sinful desires on one side, and this one's bigger, so this is Jesus. He gets to be bigger, right? And what happens is we kind of say, well, well, Jesus, I want to go this way and do this. And Jesus says, no, no, my plan is greater. But Jesus, my friends have kind of invited me out here, and it's kind of fun, but this is funner over here. Well, Jesus, but, but they kind of gave me this advice, but I still want you to forgive. I still want you to love. But Jesus, have you ever really considered, yeah, yeah, I live this life. I know what it's like. And over time, what we end up doing is just playing tug of war of our desires and the example of Jesus. And then we begin to think, man, this whole faith thing is tiring. It's, it's, it's exhausting. I don't have the strength and energy because we're constantly waging war against him and not our sinful desires. And there's just tension and it just keeps pulling and pulling. And then even when we do, we feel like we're just constantly getting dragged. And there's, oh, this, whole, this whole Jesus in church, like it's just a drag and he just kind of pulls me along and, and then because we're constantly playing tug of war with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, follow my example. Let me lead your life. Be tethered to me. Where I go, you go. What I did, you do. Whom I loved, you loved. Whom I forgive, you forgive. Do this. Go here. Avoid that. Follow my example. And when we choose to tether ourselves to Jesus instead of playing tug of war with Jesus, we begin to notice not only do we swim upstream, we follow his lead and his example because he is the one who is in charge. So as we move to a time of response this morning, let me read these two verses at the end of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. And these verses speak to how we receive this ability to tether ourselves to Jesus and give up the tug of war. He himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now, but now, but now, you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. I wish I could tell you that the moment we say yes to Jesus, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of the living God. I take you as my Lord and Savior. It's only through your work, your effort, your grace, your love, your compassion, your mercy that I can know you. I wish I could tell you that as soon as we make that pronouncement, that those sinful desires just disappear. Like a light switch. They're there one moment and they're gone the next. But that's, that's not the truth. 
We no longer have to worry about the weight of those desires. We no longer have to carry around the bondage of that sin because of the work of Jesus. But those desires still live within us as long as we're breathing air on this life. But Jesus says, I've taken care of that, so just follow me. Trust me. I live this life. I know what it takes. I, I understand the hurt. I understand the suffering. And I understand the submission. God, Jesus says, I was, I was submission. I submitted. I followed the will of God further than any of you could say because I gave of myself. I died so that you may have life that the cross takes care of that sin, but I didn't stop there. I rose from the grave and I walked out three days later so that you don't have to fight alone, that you don't have to wage war based on your own strength or your own good works or your efforts. I know I'm gonna give you the cornerstone. I'm gonna give you my word. I'm gonna give you my spirit. Lean in, read it, pray it, study it, follow. Let my spirit guide you so that they might know which family you belong to. By his wounds we have been healed. And we remember that this morning, that those wounds that paid the price for us are the same wounds that set us up to receive the power to follow the example of Jesus. As the band continues to lead us in worship this morning, we invite you to partake in what we call communion with us. We do this every week. There are tables with little candles all throughout the room, and at these tables, there's a little cracker that represents the body of Christ that was broken for you, and a little cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was spilt for you. So during these next few songs, we invite you to get up and move about the room to remember the work of Jesus on the cross. Whether you're a regular, a tender, a member just visiting, but you have said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to remember that good work with us this morning. Perhaps you want to come to the front of the stage and kneel at these prayer benches. Maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit convicted you of this morning. Maybe there's something that you brought in with you as you sat down on these seats. Maybe there's just something else going on and you want to kneel before God and say, God, I don't want to fight. I don't, I, I don't want to play tug of war with this anymore. I surrender it to you because I've surrendered to you. I want to be tethered to you in this this morning. We have given respond boxes across the room as well too. And so if you filled out one of those connect cards where you came with your tithes and offerings, you can do that during this time as well. Would you pray with me this morning as we respond to the message of Jesus? God, you are good. You are gracious. You are loving. You have reached out to us. Even though we don't deserve it, even though we can never earn it, I know as I look back on my life, there are many things that I constantly say, man, I wish I could take those words back. I wish I could have followed your lead on that decision, torpedoed that relationship. If I could, man, if I was just a little more like you, maybe there wouldn't be so much hurt. I don't know. I, that's just how I feel, God, and I know some of us feel that way here this morning too. We thank you that your love covers that. We thank you that, that your son Jesus covers that and makes us 
known to you so that we can know you. Be with us this morning, God. May we be a church filled with disciples, filled with followers of you, that we do not spend our time playing tug of war against your heart versus ours, but that we surrender, we abstain from those desires, we wage war against them, and that we tether ourselves to the example, the the cadence, the pace, the direction that your son Jesus has set before us. Make us those people so that when other people look into our lives, when other people see how we respond, when other people begin to ask questions, they can say, there's something different about you. I can't hold anything against you because there is something good, there is something joyful. There is something that is just opposite of the way that I have been living. Make us those people, Lord. Make us those people where others take notice as we swim upstream to follow your lead. Dream that we pray. Amen.